Good morning. Good morning. You should have received a text making you aware this morning is going to be a little bit different. So hopefully you are aware tonight. this morning will be a different service order and will not look like our services have normally looked. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> Careful there, buddy. All right. I didn't bring up. My phone, so I can actually see what's going on here. Um, good morning. My name is Pastor Bruce. I am the lead pastor here at Dubois Alliance Church, and I'm still trying to catch up with myself, so because um, everything is so different. But this morning, uh, we're going to continue in our Abide series, um, but the Lord has decided to change up our service orders, so we're, we're going to change it all up. Um, some people will probably be coming in as, as we go through our service, and that's okay, even though I tried to get everybody here on time or early, um, I know that won't always happen. But if you are new with us, whether you're new in person or new watching, I encourage you to text the word welcome to the number that's on the screen. Um, Ron, I didn't tell you guys this, but the ushers want to get ready right now because we're going to take the offering right away. So that's another part I forgot to do this morning. Uh, but if you are new with us, text the word welcome. That gives us the opportunity to let you know of things that are happening that might be of interest to you if you are somebody who's newer to our church family. Um, we'll also use that to communicate with you about events, things that might be of interest to you. So do that if you have the opportunity. Uh, we're going to take the offering first this morning, and then we're going to jump right into our service. Um, it's going to be a different style this morning where we're going to do a little bit of teaching, and then we're going to respond in worship um, music or through a song. And then we're going to do a little bit of teaching, and then we're going to respond through a song. And that's just going to be the basic flow of the service this morning. So um, for those of us that call Dubois Alliance home, we're going to continue by giving God his tithes and our offerings. And uh, if you are somebody who's newer with us, we don't want you to feel obligated to put money in the plate. That's not why we're excited you're here. If you are newer with us, I encourage you to take the connection card off of uh, your bulletin there. It's a little tear-off panel. Fill that out with your contact information. Drop that in the offering plate. Um, that way we can connect with you, get to know who you are, and see where you fit into the family here at Dubois Alliance. But for those of us who call this place home, we're going to give God, continue in worship by giving God his tithes and our offerings. <clears throat> Come on forward. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Each of us that's here, we woke up. You woke us up this morning. You gave us another day of life. And Lord, if nothing else, we have that to be grateful to you for. Thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, beyond that, those of us who know you as Savior, we woke up with a hope in our heart, a hope that nothing in this world could mimic, a hope that nothing else could possibly ever touch because it's the hope of eternity and nothing else can bring that except your presence. So God, this morning as we continue in our series, Lord, as we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray your presence would be here in a powerful way. I pray we would respond to your presence with humility and submission to you. God, we thank you that you have worked through this church for decade upon decade, Lord. We're coming up on a hundred years of this church being an established place where people could find you and hear about the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray we would always look forward to what you're going to do. 
Lord, I pray that whether it be finances or resources or people or talents or gifts, whatever it is, Lord, that comes through this place, it would be used for your kingdom, your glory. God, I pray we would be people of your presence and that everywhere we go, people would know there is, a, there is hope in the name of Jesus. There is freedom found in his name. God, I pray we would be a church that is present in our community that we would let our community know there is a God who loves them. And not just our community, but to the end of the earth. Lord, we pray you would use everything for your glory. This service included. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the ushers are taking the offering, I want to give us a little instruction of what this morning is going to look like. This morning, like I said, it's going to be a little bit of a teaching and a response. And... Um, as we've been talking through our Abide series, uh, one of the, um, meta- the metaphor that Jesus uses uh, for the true vine and abiding in Christ um, is a three-part uh, metaphor. We've talked about the vine dresser. We've talked about uh, the true vine being Jesus, and now we're going to talk about the fruitful branches. Um, but in order to do that, we need to have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit because the fruitfulness of the branches is all about the Holy Spirit. And so you may have never heard this song. If you listen to Christian radio, you've probably heard it, whether you recognize it or not. Uh, but this song is all about inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit into this place. And what I want to encourage you to do is as you worship through this song, don't invite the Holy Spirit that is uh, that, that Holy Spirit of our limited view. You might have a box that you have put the Holy Spirit in and said, well, I, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but I believe He only does this. If, if there's a thought in your mind of, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but not this aspect, I just want to ask you to surrender that to God this morning and say, I'm going to invite not the Holy Spirit of my limited understanding, but the actual Holy Spirit of God. And that's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable for me. And I'm pretty comfortable with being uncomfortable and so i just want i i I beg you plead you with you invite not your version of the holy spirit (coughs) but the actual holy spirit of god into this place this morning let's worship Tasted 
never felt so unqualified to speak to you about anything. It's just what I was feeling from God just now is I'm just not worthy. I'm so sorry. I, I just don't feel like I deserve to even speak on this this morning. But as we discuss the, the fruitful branches, we've, we've talked through God the Father's role as the vine dresser, and we've talked through being connected to the true vine, but the title of the sermon today is The Fruitful Branches, and you may think that when we look at fruitful branches, we're talking about our role in all of this. But when we look in John 15, 8, which hopefully comes up eventually for me, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. At first glance, this looks like this is talking to us and saying, this is your job. Be a fruitful branch, produce fruit. But this is the role of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit's job. It's to create fruit in us. John 15, 4-5 says, I got it now. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in, him, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Do you understand that this morning? Apart from him, we are nothing. It doesn't say here, he who abides in me needs to work hard at producing fruit. It's saying he who or she who abides in Christ, the fruit just happens. As you connect to Christ, as you are plugged into who God is, there's very little effort that needs to be put into producing fruit. Yet so many Christians are, work so hard and put so much effort into producing fruit, and we wonder why we're exhausted. We wonder why our relationship with God seems distant. We wonder why we're just tired of church tired of christianity because it doesn't work what we try the effort we put into it's not the effort we should be putting in the effort we should put into is in into connecting with god into being connected to the true vine because when our effort is there when we're plugged into that the fruit just happens i don't know if you've ever known anybody who has that close, intimate relationship with Jesus. Someone who just exudes the presence of God. But for me, just sitting in their presence, I feel ministered to by them. Just by being near them, I feel like they're preaching without saying a word. The presence of God just flows from them. They don't need to try. They're not putting effort into trying to bless people it just happens the fruit comes for for a lot of christians most christians probably the holy spirit is like the treadmill that some of us own 
It's there, but very rarely actually used for its intended purpose. How many of you have a treadmill at home? Or let's say an exercise piece of exercise equipment. How many of you are using it for its intended purpose on a regular basis? Okay, okay I was going to ask, how many of you, is it a coat rack? Or where extra clothes get put? Yeah, a lot of us, that's the case. I actually have in here, it's probably a coat rack. I'm not kidding you. Or maybe you don't own a treadmill. Maybe you don't own any exercise equipment. But I want you to imagine for just a second that you owned the best sports car that is available for humans to purchase. It's called a Ford Mustang, in case, in case you weren't aware. It's the best one that exists. Uh, Camaro is a, is a close fifth, uh, sixth maybe. But let's say you got that Ford Mustang, and, and for me it would be the, the Shelby GT500, you know, the, the best model version of it. You had the V8, and you don't need to know cars, okay? I know I'm using like a, a guy, uh, which t- what would be typically said as a guy illustration here, but you don't need to know anything about cars. Just imagine you had a sports car, and it had all the bells and whistles. It had every, every ounce of power that you could cram into a car. And then you push that car around everywhere you went. I don't know if you've ever pushed a car. It's not easy. It takes a lot of effort. But imagine you had this, and it works perfect. You just decided to put it in neutral and, and push it around everywhere you went. That's how most Christians treat the Holy Spirit. They try to live on their own power, pushing the car around with great effort on their part. And I'm telling you, I'll, I'll talk to these Christians. I've been that Christian myself at times. I still am sometimes. But you talk to that Christian and they're patting themselves on the back. Man, I put so much effort into, into Jesus. I put so much effort into being a good Christian. Oh, it's exhausting. Unfortunately for me, I, I experience this a lot with pastors. We pat ourselves on the back. We tell everybody how busy we are. Our schedules are so full. Oh, I, I work 60, 80 hour weeks. We tell everybody how much effort we put in. But if you were sitting with this person and you knew they owned this beautiful sports car and they were bragging about how they pushed it to Martin's and then they pushed it up to Walmart and they pushed it over to this restaurant and they pushed it home, how many of you would be like, wow, you are something else? Well, you probably would say that, but you wouldn't mean what they think you mean. Nobody would look at that and say, wow, you are a great person. Look at all the effort you put into that sports car. Man, you push it everywhere. None of us would do that. And yet, we are so willing to pat other Christians on the back and say, look at you. God bless you. You're an amazing saint. All the effort you put in. You're killing yourself day in and day out. Praise God. Now, for some of you, you deserve that because... Your effort is being put into connecting with Jesus and people are being blessed because of that. But for some of us, our effort's being put into the fruit. We're, we're killing ourselves producing fruit instead of utilizing the incredible power that is available to us in the Holy Spirit. Most, in my experience, maybe you know different Christians than me, but most people who claim to be Christians, 
from my experience, live powerless, exhausting, and passionless lives. They walk with Jesus in this exhausting effort that just seems to never go anywhere. The Bible clearly states in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If I were to sit down with you and ask you honestly, face to face, have you experienced the overwhelming power of the living God in your life? My guess is, for many of us, the answer would be no. My guess from experience would be we would take an instance where we put great effort into it, into our walk with God, and we would say, wow, yeah, the Holy Spirit, man, that was a, that was a powerful moment for me when I pushed myself to, to exhaustion and to a mental breaking point there. Wow, God worked powerfully. Instead of talking about moments where we were used in ways that go way beyond what we're capable of when God gave us a certain word for someone or, or he gave us compassion for something or someone or empathy that went so far beyond who we are that it was so clear that God moved in a powerful way. So few of us have taken even the smallest part of this power and used it for its intended purpose. Very few of us have even taken that sports car for one lap. We really, we know it's supposed to have power, We've heard other people talk about the power of their sports car, but we've never experienced it in our own lives. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit for a reason. John 14, 15 to 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Helper is capitalized because it's talking about the Holy Spirit here, just so you know. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is speaking to Christians now. Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. And parents, I just, I feel like I should probably tell you, we will release the kids soon, okay? So if you're a parent and you're wondering how long is this going to go, I'm going to die. Just know we will release the kids after the next song, okay? So... The the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It's not theirs to have. But when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in and it dwells within us. So if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. Now, just because someone gave you the keys of that sports car means absolutely nothing if you continue to push it around. You will never be someone who knows the power of that car until you sit in the driver's seat turn on the ignition, and hit the gas pedal. You'll never know what it's capable of. And for some of us, you've had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you for years, decades maybe, and you've never once allowed the Holy Spirit to move in power. He dwells with you and in you. But some of us, we've decided to park that powerful sports car in the garage behind a bunch of walls. We've contained it. We've put walls up in our heart because we've had false teaching in our past that says, well, the Holy Spirit can't do that, or the Holy Spirit doesn't do this, or the the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. 
and we've said, you know, yeah, that, you know, that sounds weird. I'm going to allow that wall to, to exist. If in your mind there exists anything that says the Holy Spirit can't, whatever that blank is, it's a ridiculous wall that needs to be torn down. Unless it's outside of God's character. The Holy Spirit can't lead you into sin. Yes, that's true. He's not going to do anything that's outside of his character. But whether it's the Holy Spirit doesn't speak, the Holy Spirit doesn't move, the Holy Spirit doesn't whatever, it's a lie. Because the Holy Spirit will do whatever he wants to accomplish his purpose to further his kingdom. Do not limit the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of us, we've tried to tell the Holy Spirit where he can go and, and to what aspects of our lives that he can touch. We've said, you can go this far, but you can't have that. You can move in my life on Sunday mornings, but Monday when I go to work, don't bother. Because I can't talk about you at work. They said, I can't say your name. We've created these walls where the Holy Spirit can't move. Some of us, we need to break those walls down in our hearts and just clear the playing field and say, Holy Spirit, it's open now. Do whatever you want. We need to give full access to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, then everything is His. He owns that building, that temple, what we call our bodies. He owns everything. How dare we try to tell Him what He's allowed to do and what He's not allowed to do? I can tell you now, if, if I came into your home and said, well, you, you know, you're not allowed to do this anymore in your house, you'd probably be offended. And yet we walk into God's temple, our lives, and say, Holy Spirit, no. Because that would be awkward. That would be weird. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's speaking in tongues, and you say, Holy Spirit, no. That would be weird if in church you decided that I would speak in a tongue, or if, if in a prayer meeting all of a sudden I started saying something and nobody understood what I meant. No, you're not allowed to do that because that's weird. That would make me uncomfortable. Whatever that you can't do this is, it's a lie from the enemy, and it's holding the Holy Spirit back from getting access. Now, he might not even want to do that in your life, but just the mere fact that you have created a wall and said you can't do this is limiting what God can do in your life. We should never seek to control him. So as this next song plays, I want you to sing with me, and I encourage you, if you're someone who has sought to control the Holy Spirit, if you've sought to tell him what he can or cannot do, if still in your mind right now you're battling and saying, it's so hard for me not to think he can't do that. I was taught he can't do that. I've grown up believing he can't do that. That might be you. If there are walls of fear in your heart because you're afraid of what might happen if you release control to the Holy Spirit, if you're afraid of what it might look like or how it might sound or you might do something silly, I encourage you to sing these words in this song, and I want you to mean them when you sing them. It says, Spirit, break out. Break our walls down. And you might be in a place where you're, you're not able to break those walls. And let me be very clear. You can't break your walls down, especially whether it's false teaching or just a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is. You can't break those down, but the Holy Spirit can. What you can do is ask and beg, and if you need to come up on, just so you know, this altar is open the whole service. If you're up here while I'm teaching, I am totally okay with that, okay? 
I'm not going to make you go back. Don't feel like if you come up here and the Holy Spirit's moving and you just want to stay here while I'm teaching, do that. Whatever, however God wants to work in your life, do that this, this morning. Everything is open up here, okay? But as this song plays, whether it's in your seat or you want to come up at any point and just beg Him to break the walls down. Do whatever it takes. Don't wait another day to say to the Holy Spirit, this is all yours. However you want to move, whatever you want to do, do it. I encourage you to do that. Let's sing Spirit Breakout.
Break our walls down, Lord, please. Spirit, break out. It's the goal, isn't it? Why we're here. To see heaven come down. Heaven to meet us here in this place. If you come to church for any other reason, Maybe it's time to change that. I don't know about you, but when I come to this place every single Sunday, I come with expectation that heaven's going to come down, that the Spirit's going to break out. Melissa knows as the worship leader and the elders know, any, any given Sunday, we're ready to throw our agenda right out the window because this is what we hope for. He'd break our walls down. He would break down our understandings of what God can do. He would just completely disregard our comfort zones. And that heaven would come down to this place. If you've never been in a place where heaven has come down and you've experienced the, the presence of God in a way that moves you, sometimes you laugh and you don't know why. Sometimes you cry and you weep and there's really no other reason why. Maybe you fall down on your face and you just can't stand before him. There is nothing like when we get to experience a little bit of heaven, when it comes down and it meets us. That's why we're here. My hope, when I walk into Martin's or, or Walmart or anywhere I go, my hope is, God, would you send heaven down? for a moment if I experience somebody who doesn't know you because if I try to do this I'm going to mess it up if I try to invite somebody or talk about Jesus to a, to a waiter or a waitress I'm going to mess this all up heaven come down meet me in this place would they experience just a taste of who you are and it will change them forever they will never be the same some of you know what I'm talking about because you've tasted that you've been there you've felt that Others, I don't know, you're here out of obligation. You're here because you want something. If you've never experienced that, ask God this morning to let you experience it. You can be seated. Children, you are dismissed. I don't know where you're at with your walls being broken down. I don't know if that does anything for you or if you're still sitting there saying, I like my walls. They keep me safe. They keep my faith contained. They keep Jesus out of certain areas of my life that I don't want him in, whether it's your secret life, whether it's your workplace, whether it's your family, I don't know. I don't know what rooms those are that you've told Jesus he's not allowed into, but maybe you actually like your walls. And so you listen to a song like that, and maybe all you think about is, man, we've repeated that verse 17 times. Why, why are we singing that again? For others of you, my hope is you resonated with that this morning. God had his finger on a wall, and he's saying, this is it, this is it, this is it. And he's just waiting for you to let go. 
because he'll take it in an instant, but he won't yank it out of our hands. He waits until we open it, and he says, thank you. He takes that wall, that wall we could never move, no matter how much effort we put into it, and he'll blow that wall out of the water. So as long as we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we've talked about that. If you're a believer, he is dwelling within you. Don't ask me the science behind that. I don't know it. Uh, I just know as a believer, we are the temple of God. We are the holy of holies where the presence of God dwells. And if you are a believer, then one of the, the major ministries of the Holy Spirit to us is he guides us. It's a theme you'll find very heavily in the New Testament. Anytime uh, it's talked about with what the Holy Spirit's going to do, many times it talks about him guiding us. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I don't know that it could be possibly any clearer than that. If you are led by the Spirit of God, then you are a son or daughter of God. Seems pretty clear. We are to be led by God. If you're a Christian, you should know what it is to be guided by the Holy Spirit. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, I don't, what does that mean though? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Does it just mean that I follow the, what the Bible says? No, it doesn't. That's not what being led by the Spirit of God means. Now, some people will tell you that the Holy Spirit doesn't audibly speak to people. Now, we're going to get into an area. You, you might have a wall that I'm about to mess with. Because you might have been taught, or you might believe yourself, the Holy Spirit doesn't audibly speak to people. That He just guides us through thoughts or inclinations that um, I don't understand how the theology of someone who says, well, God doesn't speak audibly. He just moves in our emotions. So we believe that He's willing to manipulate our emotions but not speak to us. Seems a little weird to me that we would, uh, it seems weirder to manipulate someone's emotions than to just talk to them and allow them to choose whether to listen or not. But uh, I don't know about you, but when uh, I'm being taught something, I appreciate that. When I feel like I'm being manipulated into something, I get a little upset about that. So I don't understand people who are okay being manipulated into something by God, but think it's weird that he might speak to us. So, those would teach you the, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak audibly. I don't know how to sugarcoat it any better than to just say they're wrong. The same way that some, if someone were to say to you, well, the Holy Spirit, the, the miraculous gifts of God no longer are, are for today. Once you've seen God move that way, once you've experienced it, it doesn't matter what verses they use, they're just wrong. You just, you've seen him move. You know he does it. And for someone to sit there, and they, they might know the Bible better than you, they might have really good arguments, it just doesn't matter. Because you've seen God move, you've felt Him, you've, you've watched Him move in a miraculous way, and so it doesn't matter what they say, you're just not going to believe it, you just know they're wrong. And that's where I argue with this. They may have never acknowledged the voice of God in their life, they may, might not have a time where they remember it, or they can acknowledge that was His voice, but God, the Holy Spirit, does speak audibly. And when I speak of that, I was telling the elders this, wanna, I, I like Superman, okay? He's my favorite superhero. Um, I don't know if any of you ever watched the show Smallville. Um, 
I watched every episode more than once, uh, and I, lo- I loved it. But there's this, this moment where Superman, as a teenager, is getting all, he doesn't get all his powers all at once. And so he's, he starts to get his super hearing power, and it's too much. He doesn't know how to tone it down. He hears everything, and it's so loud, and it hurts his ears, and he's struggling with it. And his dad takes him into the barn. He turns on all of his equipment, turns on his saw, turns on all this power equipment, and his dad is across the barn, and he just starts whispering, saying, Clark, can you hear me? Clark, do you hear my voice? And he just sits there, and Superman just waits until he can hear just his voice. And then he finally hears it. He's able to tune, tune out everything else, and he can hear just his father's voice. And when someone tells me that God doesn't speak audibly, my heart breaks for them, especially if they've been a Christian for a while, because like you've never heard your father's voice. I don't judge you. I, I'm, not, I'm not condescending. I don't think I'm better than you. I just wish you could hear his voice, to know what it is to be spoken to by your father amidst all the other noise and the junk of this world, to hear that whisper in your heart. And you know, the times I've heard God's voice, it didn't knock me to the floor. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like that. You know, some, they, they, whether you call it slain in the spirit or whatever. Now, I've been laying on the floor snotting and crying before the presence of God. But when I heard his voice, people said, well, what does it sound like? It sounds like my voice but it's different. There's an authority behind it. And it didn't put me on the floor. It didn't, you know, I didn't start speaking in tongues or anything. The first time I think I can remember it, it was just a verse. He spoke a verse to me. In a moment of my life where my stress was through the roof, where I thought I couldn't go on, and he spoke Psalm 121. I was like, wow, I don't don't even know what that verse says. I looked it up, and it was the song I was listening to, I was worshiping to. It might not sound powerful to you, but it changed my life. I've heard his voice a number of other times, but it's not this weird, you know, booming voice from heaven. It's not this strange experience. It's this beautiful thing where you're left with this idea, God, you spoke to me. Out of all the billions of people in this world, you took a moment to speak just a verse to me. It's a powerful thing. See, there's this guy, Elijah, in the Bible. Powerful man of God. He does things you couldn't even dream of. We only know some of what he did in the, in the Bible. He has this power. He knows the presence of God. And God says, you know what, after this experience, he, he calls down the fire of God on the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He does this amazing thing. And then he runs from one person who's trying to kill him, and he's ready to die. He's ready to give it all up. And God says, you know what, come here. And God moves in a tornado, and he moves in an earthquake, and he moves in a fire, and all of these big flashy ways, his voice wasn't there. But it was in this whisper, which is why when I was watching that Smallville show, I believe I could, I could teach the gospel from the story of Superman as it is. But as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, look at the power of what, that, what, what is in this scene. 
as he's able to just zero in on his father's voice. Some of us, we, we just haven't quieted our life to listen to the voice of God, to hear his voice and to begin to learn that is his voice. Yeah, I've, and you know what? For some of you, you'll finally hear his voice and, you'll, and instantly you'll know, I've heard that before. I never thought that was his voice. I've heard that voice before. And now I know who it belongs to, my father. And it will change your life. See, if you were to read the New Testament, if you were to read every time that Jesus teaches on the Holy Spirit, without bias, without previous teaching, without uh, a previous understanding, you would unquestionably walk away with the idea that Jesus was teaching the Holy Spirit would have a spoken uh, ministry to us, that he would have a speaking role in our lives. Look at verses like John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, if you didn't have any previous teaching, anybody who had told you well, the Holy Spirit is not going to audibly speak to you, and you read this verse, there's no question you would come away with this, well, I guess the Holy Spirit that God's going to send is actually going to talk to me. You would come away with that understanding. And just in case there's any confusion as to what Jesus meant when he uses the word declare here, you might think, well, that, that word declare might not mean what we think it means because we know that the New Testament's written in Greek and so Jesus, uh, very likely, maybe he spoke this in Hebrew, maybe he spoke it in Greek, whatever is written in Greek. The word is, and you know, if you know me, you know I don't often break down the Greek for you because I don't think there's usually a lot of use in that. But this Greek word that I'm going to butcher is anangelo, okay? The, the Greek word that's used here for declare which means the definition of this Greek word is to announce, to disclose, to proclaim, or to report. That's what this word in John 16, 13 says. It's the same Greek word used in Acts 14, 27 when it says, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Same word. See, some would seek to explain the work of the Holy Spirit as a nonverbal, ambiguous, impression type of communication. That the Holy Spirit will just move by manipulating your emotions. But you won't find that idea anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere in the teaching of the Holy Spirit will you get this idea that He's going to move as like an extra emotion in your life. When Jesus was encouraging the disciples about his departure and telling them how it will be better for them because they would receive the Holy Spirit, he tells them in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Any of you ever had a good teacher who only spoke through thoughts or inclinations? No? Your teachers all spoke too? Okay, just wondering. How about a good counselor? I've seen a counselor before. I think everybody uh, could, be, could benefit from seeing a counselor. Anybody ever had a good counselor that just sat there and stared at you and maybe raised an eyebrow when you said something and it totally changed your life? No? Your counselor spoke too? Yeah. That's another term that the Holy Spirit is described as, the great counselor. How is he going to give us counsel if he never speaks? Man, if you've never been in a moment doesn't take much. I know for my son, 
I'll walk into a room and now somebody else, he might be doing something wrong and they might be saying, Killian, Killian, Killian. I walk into a room and say, Killian. It, everything just changed. When God speaks sometimes, if you've been in a moment where you're struggling with something, whether it's a sin or God told you to do something and you're not doing it, and all God's got to do is say, Bruce, done. He has my attention now. And maybe that's all God wants to do. He doesn't want to do something weird that's, you know, fall on the floor, snot, and he doesn't want you to speak in some weird tongue. That's not, maybe that's not anywhere on his agenda. All he wants to do is say your name and get your attention. And some of us still have that wall that says, nope, he doesn't speak audibly. I'm not going to allow it. You might think it's a little strange. If you're being honest, yeah, I think it's a little strange. The idea that the Holy Spirit would actually speak to me. That's exactly, think about it. If you were Satan, would you want to convince people that God spoke or didn't speak? Let's use some common sense here. Of course you would want people to think it's weird. Because if people of God began to listen to his voice and listen for his voice, you're done. Satan's done. When you begin to learn the difference between the voice of God and your own voice, he's done. His ministry is a thousand times more difficult now when you can differentiate that one voice. I know I've mentioned this before, but my mind always goes to this illustration that I used to, a game I used to play with the youth group and I would blindfold one of the kids and one of their good friends, it had to be somebody they knew really well, would be on the other side of the room and there'd be like a little obstacle course they'd have to navigate through and their friend would be giving them the directions. Okay, take one step forward, take one step to the left. Okay, now take one step forward. Okay, you're gonna go around this thing. And as the game went on, I would encourage other kids to start yelling out directions. And they would begin to yell other directions. And uh, before long, the whole youth group's yelling different directions. And their one goal was to listen for their friend's voice, just to hear the right directions. That's so similar to our life. And if the worst case scenario for Satan is you're able to zone in on that one voice and it's like, okay, I got it. Now if I just follow that voice, I know I'll be safe. It doesn't necessarily quiet all the other voices. But when we learn that one voice, our life is never the same again. And it's not like, Every single day I'm walking along and God and I are just chatting it up. Like, that's not how it works for me. I mean, maybe it is for you, but that's not how it works for me. But when he speaks, there is an authority behind it that Satan does not want in your life. Because if you begin to listen and obey that voice, his, his job just became near impossible. So as we respond in this next song, it is all about the Holy Spirit falling fresh on us. And maybe for you, fresh means a whole new experience. Maybe for you it's been, you know what? I used to hear the voice of God. I lost it. I'm not able to differentiate it between all the other voices now. I think maybe, possibly I heard it that one time, but I don't know. Wherever you are, 
Your last big Holy Spirit moment might have been yesterday. What's great about this song is this song still applies to you. Fall fresh. Fall afresh on us. Because every day is a new opportunity for God to do something fresh, to do something new. doesn't mean to do something outside of the Word of God. It doesn't mean to do something, and it's not all about an experience. But if you don't live every day with the expectation that God could do something fresh, I honestly, I don't look down on you. I just feel bad for the walk that you have, that it would be so dry that you don't actually expect God to move in a powerful way, because he wants to. Look at our world, it's so broken, it's so dark, it's so hurting, there's so much work to be done. And yet many of us will wake up tomorrow and we won't even think about God for half the day. And God is just whispering to us, I want to do something fresh. I wanna do something in your life, just let me work. Just listen for my voice. Maybe you're still in a confused place where you think it's crazy and it's still weird, Pastor. I don't care what you say, it's weird to think that God might audibly speak to me. Drop the walls. Maybe you just need to tune out this song and go back to the other song and just, Spirit, break out, break my walls down. Don't try to set the agenda of what or how God can move. If you were to just simply say, Holy Spirit, I'm very uncomfortable right now. I don't know what this is all about, but I, all I know is I want more of what he's talking about. I want to feel more of this walk with you. Again, it's not just about an experience, but if you're not experiencing him, there's a problem there. Christianity isn't, isn't just about head knowledge. We're told that the Holy Spirit will move on us. Try to tell one of the disciples at Pentecost, well, it's not about an experience. It wasn't about an experience. They just knew that they needed God to change the world. So as we sing this, my encouragement to you is just ask, beg, plead for a fresh filling of God. Spirit
just want to be clear what we're talking about. This idea that God speaks to us is in no way a, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, uh, a de- to downplay someone's spirituality, to say, well, if you've never heard of God, then you're just not as close to God as me. That's not at all what it means. I, just as I was worshiping there, I was, I, God brought to my mind that if you've never watched a video of like when a kid who's either mostly or completely deaf gets one of those cochlear implants or something, you've never watched them hear their mom's voice for the first time. I don't know about you, but that'll mess me up. That's what it's like. doesn't mean that kid loves their mom any less or their parents any less or they're, they're less in, in tune with their, their mom. But things just change when you hear the voice, when you hear their loving voice, when you can hear the concern that they have for you, when you can hear the inflections and the love. It just changes. It's why none of us would choose to be deaf in the first place. There's just so much in hearing something. It's, it's why I promise you, if I ever send you an email or a text, I, am, I don't have an attitude, I don't have a voice, I will never text or email you something that I, when I'm upset. I will call you, I will talk to you, because there's no way to put inflections and to put tone into an email or a text. There's just something that's different with a voice. It changes everything. And if all you've ever done is read the Word of God and read the words on the page, you're missing out on an aspect. And you can love God. I've known great men and women of God who would argue with me till their face was purple that God doesn't speak to people. And I'm it's not saying that their relationship with God is less than mine or anybody else's. But they'll never convince me because I've heard His voice. And I would still argue till the end of the day. It's just different. Like the song said, to hunger, to seek, to thirst. Jesus himself in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. There should be a desire. See, that one of the things I, I never understood is how the church is basically beat it into people's heads that you shouldn't desire an experience with God. It's wrong to want an experience with God. Where do you find that in the Bible? When God shows up, it's an experience. Show me a place where God, or, or even an angel shows up, and it's not a moment that that person talked about for the rest of their life. It's an experience. So to not pursue an experience with God is to not pursue His manifest presence. Because when He manifests His presence, you won't forget it. It will change everything. And for some of us, that's all we need is that first taste. And it doesn't matter what you've been taught. It doesn't matter. All that stuff behind all those walls will shatter at that first touch. When you talk to people who have experienced that manifest presence, again, hopefully, they're not condescending, they're not trying to make their spirituality greater than yours or or diminish yours in any way. They just know it's different. Every day, that song applies. We need the Holy Spirit to fall fresh on us. 
long time ago, uh, a mentor of mine encouraged me, every day you wake up, just ask God to take you on a journey, to be excited for the journey of that day. Because you never know where God will take you. How many of you have ever had one of those days where at the end of the day you thought, I did not see today going that way? Wouldn't it be awesome if you said that in a good way because the manifest presence of God showed up in your day and your day ends in a way that you never thought it could possibly end? Maybe that day's today. Maybe the Holy Spirit's going to change your life forever today. Maybe you leave church this afternoon and say, I never saw it going that way. Man, I started with a hard heart. I thought there's no way that's possible. And I've left changed. Brings us to our next topic. What is the difference between indwelling of the Spirit, baptism of the Spirit, and the filling of the Spirit? You might have heard these terms before and just have no idea what they mean. Indwelling, we've already covered, usually isn't what people have confusion on. Most people would agree, yes, the Holy Spirit dwells within us in some capacity that most people can't explain. Um, The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us as believers. What many people argue about is the meaning of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You may have heard different definitions of this. Certainly, if you've gone to churches other than an alliance church, even maybe in different alliance churches, um, you may have heard different teachings on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're not even familiar at all with what this term means, some see baptism of the Holy Spirit as a one-time event which occurs at salvation. Some would argue it always happens at salvation, and it's basically that indwelling, that moment of indwelling. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some see it as a one-time event which occurs post-salvation, that it's a secondary event to salvation. And some see it as a continual occurrence throughout the Christian life, that every time the Holy Spirit moves through us, that that's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's clear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an actual event. Luke chapter 3 Verse 16 says, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. He's talking about Jesus. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, John the baptizer is very clearly describing this thing as something different from an actual physical baptism. This baptism of the Spirit is a different event. Jesus himself affirms this concept. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. It says, For John baptized, this is Jesus speaking, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Why is Jesus telling them this? Now, you can easily make the argument. He's talking to the disciples here. Um, they've seen the risen Christ. My argument would be they're Christians. They've firsthand experienced the power of the living God. They've walked with Jesus. They've seen his glorified body. They know this is God. They are Christians. But Jesus tells them, as much as I have taught you, as much as you have grown, as much as you have learned and experienced from me, don't even bother leaving this city until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He is, he know, Jesus knows the ministry he has for his disciples, and he makes it very clear, do not Make even the smallest effort to do anything on your own strength. But wait for the Holy Spirit. 
and he tells them, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Most of us know this event is called Pentecost. Yes, Pentecost. Uh, they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, this helps me develop my personal opinion. Sometimes I don't give you my personal opinion. I am today. I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a post-salvation. It can happen at salvation, but I normally see it as a post-salvation event where somebody, there has to be an initial submission to Christ, obviously at conversion, whenever we come to know Christ, which, by the way, doesn't have to be a moment in time event. So if you're a person who says, I can't really pinpoint when I came to know Christ, neither can I. I can tell you about how old I was. I cannot pinpoint a moment in time for you. I know when everything changed, but I can't tell you the exact date and time. I didn't even know that was a thing until I, you know, someone asked me, what was the date and time of your salvation? Well, I don't know. I just know I'm his. I can't tell you date and time. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second surrendering. At first we surrender and say, I'm yours, God. It's all yours. But in the life of Every believer I've ever known, we then begin to walk in our own strength. We become this new creation, and we try to do the same thing we were doing before, which is live our life on our strength, our power, our talents, all of our stuff. And then, to me, what I see is the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that second surrendering where we realize, okay, this new life, I can't do this on my own. I do not have the strength to do this. Now, some of you have never gotten there. It's why you pat yourself on the back for working so hard for Jesus and be exhausted and live a passionless and, and a life of, of, of Christianity. You're saved. You know God. But you've never experienced. You've never sat in the driver's seat of that sports car, turn that thing on and hit the gas. You've never felt the power of God in your life, which is why when someone teaches on it, you think, this is all a bunch of hokey garbage. Same way that somebody might say, a Ford Mustang's not the best sports car in the whole world, because they've never ridden in one. Now, that's a joke in case you were wondering, okay? Actually, it's not a joke. It is the best sports car in the world. <laughs> But somebody might say, ah, I don't know what they're all about. I don't know. I, I've met people who have said that. I don't know what all the hype is about these. And then they've driven a sports car, and they're like, that was awesome. It is similar. Not the same, but similar with the Holy Spirit. I came to know Christ in a Baptist church, which I don't, I'm not here to knock Baptists, but I came to know Christ in a KJV-only Holy Spirit doesn't move in certain ways. The, the miraculous gifts of God no longer exist. That's the type of Christianity I was brought up in. I was taught all of that stuff. And then I experienced it. And I had to wrestle with, I'm experiencing something I was told can't happen. So, and if you know me, I'm a very cerebral person. I, I, I like to understand things. I like to think things through. And God knew I could never be taught that. I just had to experience it. And so in college, I was wrestling with this idea of, I don't know what to do with this because this seems to go against what I was taught, which again, would, for me, would be the Word of God. This seems to go against the Word of God, but it's happening. I'm experiencing this. And I had to wrestle with that. 
And so for some of you, that may be where you're at this morning, where you say, it's not possible, nothing within my ability to process says that this is something that can happen. I'm not listening to you, Pastor. That may be where you're at. I am not condemning you. I promise you I'm not, because I have been there. And I'm not saying, well, no, I'm better than you. What I'm saying is God messed everything up. I can't explain it any other way than that. That, that, that time in my life, I just felt like everything I knew about God was, was wrong. Did, was I even saved? I was questioning, because I don't know what's happening right now. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let's get back to that. More often than not, I would argue, occurs post-salvation. Just as a physical baptism should occur post-salvation, which, a little plug for baptism, if you've never been baptized after you came to know Christ, you should be baptized. Physical baptism happens after salvation. Uh, it's not necessary for salvation, physical baptism. Neither is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some Christians will come to know Christ, be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and will go to heaven never having experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe that. I know that to be true. I see the baptism of the Holy Spirit as that second surrendering. We surrender our will to His. And while I believe this is of importance, I believe what's of greater importance is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you may have actually been baptized and not really understood it. You just had a moment where you were snotting on the floor and you felt the presence of God and you didn't really know how to describe it, but everything was different after that. Everything changed. Everything seemed brighter. You seemed closer to God. Your relationship with God just seemed more authentic. Everything seemed different. There wasn't a moment, though some would argue, and they are wrong, that you have to speak in tongues when the Holy Spirit comes on you and that baptism happens. That is wrong. Um, that is a misuse of Scripture. You might not have had any kind of weird experience. You may have. I don't know. What I'm saying is it doesn't require this big, showy, flashy thing. God wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the tornado. He was in a whisper. And so this might have just been a quiet moment between you and God in a basement or in the middle of the woods or on a kayak. I don't know. But everything was different after that. You felt the power but I believe what is of greater importance is not that one moment, but every moment after it. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. So my argument to you would be this filling idea. This is a choice. This is a, there was that initial surrendering of salvation and another initial surrendering of our will to God that we, we recognize we need His power to live the Christian life. And then every moment after that, we are given the decision to continue to surrender our will to him or to try to wrestle it back and say, nah, I know I had that weak moment where I thought I couldn't do it, but I got this now. And every moment we're encouraged to be filled. You might be asking, well, how can you be filled with something that you already have? How can you get more of the Holy Spirit? Well, Romans 7 and 8, Paul describes the war which every Christian experiences, a war between the Holy Spirit within us and our own sinful flesh. And Romans 7, uh, 22 to 25 says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched 
man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul is very clearly describing, as a believer, he still wrestles constantly with his flesh, his, his human part of him that wants to do the wrong thing, and yet the Holy Spirit wants him to do the right thing. And so to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment surrendering of that part of us which doesn't want to submit to God, submitting it to God, forcing it to be submitted to God doing everything within our power to submit to God. See, this is where our effort should go as fruitful branches, is into surrendering, humbling ourselves, being broken before the Lord. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Some of you know what it's like to be drunk. You've been drunk. Maybe you did something really silly. Maybe you did something you're embarrassed about. But what happens when you drink alcohol to the point you're drunk? You lose your inhibitions. Your walls go down. And you act in certain ways that you would probably never act as a sober individual. Why is Paul putting, paralleling this with being filled with the Spirit? Because being filled with the Spirit is very similar. Your inhibitions go down. Your walls go down and you act in ways you normally wouldn't. Why do you think at Pentecost, what were the disciples being accused of? Being drunk. They look like a bunch of fools that are drunk with new wine, it says. Why? Because they were acting in a manner which was not consistent with who they were. If you've never acted in a manner which is inconsistent with who you are, you're missing out on what God wants for you. Does that mean, well, if you've never acted really silly and spoken in weird voices that you're not a real good Christian? No, it's not what it means at all. But it does mean that there's something God wants to do in your life. And it's this being filled with the Spirit idea. And your inhibitions will go down. Your walls will go down. And sometimes, those of you who have uh, a lifestyle where you've been drunk in the past, you'll act relatively normal as a drunk person. You've done that. But then there are other times where you acted like a complete fool. And sometimes when the Spirit of God fills us, it's to speak a word of encouragement to somebody. For me, it's been at times to have overwhelming compassion for somebody, which I do not have. And it's very clear, that wasn't me. Often when I'm speaking to you as a, from, from this pulpit, from the front here, It's very clear to me, I didn't say that. I didn't even know that to begin with. And it just comes out. I'm acting in a manner not consistent. If you knew me as a seventh grader, you would know every time I get up here, I act in a manner which is inconsistent with who I am. I was petrified of speaking in front of people. I have still trauma in my brain from the last time I spoke before I knew Christ. And then he showed up and he messed it all up. And all of a sudden I wanted to be in front of people and talk. Because that's how he's gifted me. If I stood up here on my strength, I would just stare at you. And I might pee a little. Because that's what I did when I was in seventh grade. I'm just being honest with you. I was petrified. And God moved. 
And now for some reason I can get up here and I can speak and people understand it and they actually appreciate it. I promise you it's not me. You can congratulate me. You can say, Pastor, that was a good sermon all you want. And I'll, I'll receive it. I've learned just to just receive it. But it is not me. If I did this, it would be terrible. Peter, who we know was a Christian, is said to have been filled with the Spirit for a specific situation. Acts 4, 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, and began to speak. We know that he was already a Christian, so how could he get more of something than he already had? We know we're commanded to be filled, so how did how could you possibly cram more of it in? It's very easy. He got less of him. See, I always have this mental picture, and I want to I impart it to you, of this big vase, glass vase of water. And in that are a bunch of those like river stones that you see people have around their trees that have enough money to put them around their trees. Uh, and it's completely full to the top with water. And anybody who looks at that would say it's full. And then you see the, the, the hand of God come in, and he removes one of those stones. And I, in my mind's eye, I see this as that those, are sin, those are sin things. Those are pieces of us. And as he removes that stone, what happens? Is that still full? No, it's not full anymore. What can he do? He can pour more of the water in there. What is water in the New Testament? Very often, it's, it's, the Holy Spirit's referred to as this river of living water. And so he can pour more water in there. And then we're full again. And then he removes more of us. And is it full? No, it's not full. Now it needs to be filled. And so that's why we're commanded to be filled. It's really a command to be emptied of ourself. That's what the command is. Empty yourself. Less of you, more, less of me, more of you is what the encouragement is. What many Christians need is to come to the end of themselves and surrender their will to that of God. To stop telling God of all creation what he's allowed to do and simply say, God, move. You do whatever you want to do. I'm done trying to control you. I don't know what I was thinking in the first place. One time when I, I did have a Ford Mustang and one time the uh, power steering belt broke and can I tell you, driving that to the, to the shop, I'm, I'm not a small person. I've lifted weights my entire life, just about. And it took everything I had to be able to turn that thing 90 degrees while driving. Trying to steer that sports car in my own strength, oh my goodness. Trying to control that power, I, I, never, I don't think I ever broke 20 mile an hour. I was so afraid to go any faster than that because I couldn't control it. And that's how many of us are living our Christian life. We're just trying to control that power, and so we're so afraid to actually put our foot on the gas and just say, go, God, go, because we're afraid of what will happen and what it will look like. The next response song is asking God to set a fire. I love this song because it says to set a fire that we can't contain and that we cannot control. And this is a humbling song. To say, God, do something in me that I can't contain and that I can't control. I want my Christianity out of control. For some of you, that is uncomfortable. 
But when it's in the Holy Spirit's hands, it's never out of control. It's just out of our control. And he's never going to do anything that's outside of his word. He's never going to do anything for the sake of humiliating us and making us look stupid. That's not who he is. Now, we might feel stupid with something that God does through us, but it's for his purposes. So I encourage you, with everything you have, ask God to set a fire in your heart, in your soul that you cannot contain and that you cannot control. Yeah.
place I would rather be than here in your love, here in your love. Amen, God. There is no place I would rather be than in your presence, abiding in your love. Because there is nothing like it. pray for anybody here who just hasn't experienced it, who has unfortunately been, just been taught lies about who you are and how you work and how you move. God, I pray you would set a fire in their soul, in their heart that they cannot contain, that they cannot control. Lord, they may be a person of overwhelming control, they like their control. And that's why it's been so hard for them to submit. Lord, I pray that they would hunger and they would thirst after that. That relationship with you, which doesn't seek control. That humility before the living God that says, obviously, I'm not as powerful, as smart, as all-knowing as you. And so I submit my will to yours. Amen. I know we're a little bit over. We have one more song. Just as the, Jesus told the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. Do not try to go out and do this on your own. God knew what he had for them. He knew they were going to change the world. But they couldn't do it on their own strength. He didn't want them to take a step outside of the city until they had the Holy Spirit, until they were baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you might be comfortable walking out of this place today saying, well, I know I'm indwelt. Forget the rest of that. You'll never change the world. God wants to change the world through you. He wants to change your workplace. He wants to change your family. He wants to change Dubois. Does anybody question whether or not God wants to change our town? Or whatever town you live in, He wants to change it. You will never change the world. But the Holy Spirit of God in you it's like last week we prayed over our kids and my heart just was breaking because it was, man, forgive us for sometimes thinking that one day they'll be powerful, men and women of God. Man, they can change the world. They will. They have changed the world more than some Christians ever will because they just believe. And they let God use them. Don't leave this place unless you feel confident you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Unless you are sure you know what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Man, it's not worth it. It's not worth whatever you were going to do for lunch, whatever other plans you might have. None of it is worth trying to do it on our own strength. Because man, if you learn to hear His voice, 
if you know what it is to have a fire. And, and, and here's my thing. I apologize if my arrogant nature has rubbed you the wrong way today. I'm, I've got a fire in my heart that I, sometimes I can't contain it and I can't control it. And sometimes that fire is God and sometimes it's Bruce. So I get very passionate about some of these things. I know I can come across as arrogant and condescending. So forgive me, honestly, truly forgive me. That's before we even started. I, I, I just felt so underqualified to talk on this subject. And that hasn't changed. I do not feel qualified. Like I should have any, any reason to be the one talking about this to you. I just know what I've experienced with God. And if I could do anything to replicate it in your life, I would. But I can't. We have to humbly come before him. Before, Je before Jesus departed, he encouraged his disciples by telling them the Holy Spirit would come. John 16, 7 to 8, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus left. The Holy Spirit has come. All we need to do is ask. And you may be in a place this morning where you're saying, my mind is warring with what you're saying, Pastor. I can't do it. God will meet you where you are. All we need to do is ask and say, Lord, I, I don't know. I don't know about all this. I just know it sounds good. I don't have that relationship with you, and I want it. All we need to do is ask. My belief is that God will provide. Luke eleven thirteen. if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He wants to pour out His Holy Spirit. We just need to believe. I'm believing that someone's life is going to change today. That's my belief. <coughs> this last song is begging God to send revival. I don't know about your heart, but my heart, as I drive through Dubois, says, God, we need revival. Amen. We need it more than I need my lunch more than I need the water that I drink, more than I need anything, our town needs revival. Would you join us in faith that God will answer like he answered the believers in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued, what? To act like fools, to do stupid stuff, to do crazy things, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what God wants of us, is to be his bold witnesses everywhere we go. So would you join me in this last song? And then you're welcome to go. You're welcome to go now if you want. But would you join me in just begging God, send revival? whether that's in your seat, sitting, standing, kneeling, laying, up here at the altar, all those options exist up here as well. Whatever posture you need to take that God leads you to, to just beg for revival. Join us in singing, Lord, send revival. Peace like a
world needs, what Dubois needs is not better churches, not better sermons or nicer whatever. We don't need better Christians or better outreach programs. What we need is you. And Lord, we know you want to reach them, so obviously the only problem could possibly be your people. Not releasing more of you. Your people who have access to all the power of the living God. There's no reason why our community should have darkness in them. It's not a lack of power on your part. It's a lack of flow on our side. Theology aside, teaching aside, we just need more of you. We need a revival. We need to experience what it is to be overwhelmed by you. And then to practice that presence every day. Living in your presence. Letting the river of living water flow from us to every person we interact with. Lord, our world needs you. And you've sent us. I pray we wouldn't fail. And the one job you've given us, and that is surrendering. Our effort, all of our energy, would we pour it surrendering it to you into breaking the walls down handing the walls to you handing all the stuff to you would you set a fire in our hearts that we cannot contain that we couldn't control even if we tried God I pray as we leave we would leave changed people closer to you more open to your hand in our lives Lord, my one prayer for us is that we would experience more of you. Whatever more looks like in each of our lives, I just pray for more. And tomorrow, I'll pray for more. And the next day, I'll pray for more. Lord, would you move? Despite me, would you move? However you see fit. In Jesus' name.